Welcome to HealthCast, the heartbeat of health IT. I'm your host, Sarah Seibert, and today we're joined by the Department of Veterans Affairs newly appointed Undersecretary for Health, Dr. Sharif Alnahal. Alnahal was appointed to his position over the summer, just weeks before President Biden signed the PACT Act into law, marking the largest expansion of veteran benefits in a generation. In his new role, he's leading multiple large-scale programs like delivering new PACT Act benefits, modernizing and deploying the electronic health record system, reducing veterans' homelessness and suicide, and more. I'll turn it over to Alnahal, who will tell us more about his career in health policy and veterans' health care, his goals as VA's chief health official, and insights on VA's next steps for its healthcare modernization and medical innovation programs. So to kick off this episode, I'd like to dive a bit into your background. So could you tell us a bit about your career in healthcare and what brought you to the Department of Veterans Affairs? How has your prior work at VA helped to inform your outlook on veterans care? Well, I'm proud to say that my career in healthcare actually began with VA in many ways, uh, starting as a medical student. So one of my first clinical rotations uh, was in the emergency room of the West Roxbury VA uh, near Boston. And I had a chance to meet uh, a veteran who was one of my first patients in my third year of medical school who had driven over an hour to that hospital with crushing chest pain. And after we stabilized him, I think we all knew that he was having a heart attack from the moment he came in. Uh, We asked him, you know, there was a bunch of places you could have stopped on the way. And in fact, it may have been better for you in retrospect to do that. Um, So, you know, why did you make your way over here? And his answer was pretty simple. He said, uh, VA is the only place that understands me and VA is the only place that I trust for my care. Um, And so I knew from that moment that I would be really hard for me to work for an organization that doesn't do that for people. Uh, establish that trust, uh, make sure that uh, there's a focus on uh, the patient in ways that other facilities and other organizations can't. And VA does that in an incredible way. A third of the employees in the agency are veterans themselves, and so many more of them have a veteran in their lives. And uh, I knew that I had to be a mission-based organization ever since. And so uh, my career followed in terms of gaining a bit of an expertise on quality and patient safety, finished my uh, medical degree, and found myself uh, wanting to rejoin VA as a healthcare leader uh, during my residency when uh, news broke out of the access crisis out of Phoenix uh, in VA. And that prompted me to want to help And so I applied for the White House Fellowship, Uh, was lucky enough to be appointed into that program and even luckier to be appointed to VA, where I had a chance to work for the Undersecretary for Health at the time, but also the Secretary of Veterans Affairs in advancing the priorities around access, quality, and patient safety. And I fell in love with the organization all over again from that vantage point, Uh, ended up staying on and doing my first stint at VA. So uh, really, VA has informed so much of my career. In fact, when I was health commissioner in New Jersey, I took best practices from VA, like the incredible efforts that VA undertakes to integrate primary care and mental health to the state licensing system in New Jersey to try and reform it. And we were able to clarify a lot uh, to our stakeholders uh, who provide that care in New Jersey to lift those best practices and offer it to New Jersey residents. And 
just one of many examples where VA has uh, made me better and has allowed me to make other organizations better as well. That's great to hear. You definitely bring considerable experience in healthcare management and policy to your new role. So what do you see as some of VA's greatest structural priorities when it comes to modernizing its healthcare delivery? So I think the most important asset that we have to fortify is simply our people. Uh, we have to hire faster and more competitively. And as I said in my confirmation hearing, and as I've said ever since to our incredible workforce, VA is a national treasure precisely because of our people. The fact is, we need many more of them. Uh, we see healthcare staffing shortages across the American healthcare system right now. It's never been harder to recruit a healthcare worker for all sorts of reasons. We're in the wake of a pandemic. The economy is an interesting place. And so uh, we are faced with similar challenges, but I'm confident that we'll be able to make progress. In fact, uh, we just had a very successful onboarding surge event across every healthcare facility in VA. We're able to bring on uh, employees who have been in the pipeline to be onboarded for some time to the tune of about 12,872 folks who've completed their onboarding steps throughout that effort. And so that will be an incredible bolus of folks across our healthcare system. And there's a lot we need to do to make uh, longer term progress in our ability to hire. The second uh, requirement is for us to just simply connect veterans better to the soonest and best care available to them, otherwise known as access to care. And we need to do everything from improving the systems in front of our schedulers and clinicians to be able to facilitate that uh, but also, apropos of my first priority, which is hiring, make sure we hire the right people to be able to make our clinicians more productive. Uh, and I think there's a lot under that that needs to be undertaken from an infrastructure standpoint. Third, we're uh, really focused on implementing the historic legislation that the president was signed into law back in August called the PACT Act, which finally connects veterans to benefits that they have earned uh, who experienced exposures during their service. Everything from burn pits to Agent Orange out of Vietnam, to various exposures during the Gulf War era, uh, to contaminated water at Camp Lejeune and war. Uh, we have the obligation now to connect veterans to benefits who've developed conditions related to those exposures. Uh, and that has everything to do with my first two priorities, hiring enough people to do it and improving our systems of care to be able to bring more veterans in faster. The next is actually accelerating our journey to high reliability. The organization started uh, that journey back in 2019. Uh, that is a concept that's used uh, often in the nuclear industries and aviation to have a culture of zero harm and the zero defect culture. And we've made extraordinary progress in VA to elevate the voices of the frontline, make sure that they are psychologically safe in raising vulnerabilities and responding by improving the systems of care around them uh, all at the benefit of veterans in terms of quality and patient safety. That journey was already on a good track before I arrived. And so that's why I say accelerate. We need to just resource it better and support it better from the highest levels of leadership in VA. And I know that the secretary is behind me in that important effort. The next is supporting veterans' whole health, their caregivers, and survivors. The concept is that the environment around veterans, including their support network, including where they live, if they even have a home. All these things matter much more in many cases than what we do within our clinic walls to advance the health and well-being of veterans. 
that includes, of course, our caregiver support program, making that program stronger, expanding the aperture as much as possible to allow more and more caregivers and veterans in. And we're on a good path there. Uh, but also to make sure that uh, things like veteran homelessness are addressed uh, even more than they already have been. In fact, we just reported a, an exciting development there, 11% reduction in point-in-time count of homeless veterans compared to two years ago. That didn't happen by accident. That, were, that was all uh, amazing work from our teams in the field to be able to move the ball there. And we can't stop now because the words homeless and veteran should not exist in the same sentence. Uh, and we need to work until they get to zero. And the same goes for my top political priority, which is preventing veteran suicide. Every veteran suicide is a tragedy, and we have to learn from each one of those instances, but take a comprehensive public health approach to that problem. And our suicide prevention strategy, uh, which has been published for some time now, speaks to that. Everything from crisis response and emergency management, capturing those veterans and saving them when they're about to attempt to take their own life, uh, upstream into improving mental health care access for more longitudinal care, uh, but also even more upstream from that, community-based prevention, fortifying those structures of support, those institutions of trust, to make sure that veterans don't even go down the pathway of mental illness, depression, and all the risk factors we know about for suicide. So across all these priorities, major infrastructure investments are needed, IT and otherwise, uh, but that's the true north that we're shooting for. Yeah, that's a great overview. Uh, and it's been great to watch the progress you've made with uh, veteran homelessness and veteran suicide reduction as well. So you had a leading role in overseeing the quality of care delivered within VA facilities during your tenure as Assistant Deputy Undersecretary for Health Quality, Safety, and Value. With facility modernization being a cornerstone of VA's development goals, what major steps do you see the agency deploying to update your hospitals and care centers? So I am confident, and I'm confident based on a whole wealth of literature behind this, that the quality and patient safety of care delivered in VA uh, certainly meets, but in many cases exceeds that of the private sector. And that makes a lot of sense to me. It's intuitive because we have among the best healthcare workforces in the country, uh, but also because we do not have nearly uh, as many financial incentives that the private sector does in uh, looking for churn over quality than what we do. And that goes for following the evidence as well, patient to patient, on what's best for them as opposed to uh, any incentives around revenue. Uh, I think over time, that has led to safer care. In addition to the fact that we are a very academic uh, and forward-thinking institution vis-a-vis -vis our relationships with medical schools across the country, which has helped us be at the tip of the spear with quality and patient safety, but also uh, the pathways for care that are most up-to-date and most evidence-based. The key, of course, is to give veterans access to that higher quality care. And that's where I think we can make substantial progress, and that's what underlies my priority of getting veterans the soonest and best care in every instance. But I'm confident that once veterans are in our system of care and have access to our clinicians, uh, they will be better off than otherwise. And we just have to make sure that all the infrastructure investments we make, both our brick and mortar investments and our IT investments, uh, feed into that important mission of access and quality and patient safety. 
really exciting work is happening right now uh, within our innovation ecosystem around designing facilities that speak to the workflow needs of our people. And we're moving much more to a modular design um, method for new facilities that is based on actually simulation of what our healthcare workers would be doing uh, in a new facility setup. That has actually allowed for us to uh, be intentional about how uh, rooms are placed, uh, equipment and beds within those rooms, uh, and other key factors that really do have a lot to do with uh, the quality of patient safety of care. Uh, and I'm really excited about uh, making this available to every new facility that we have. And we are in the middle of an infrastructure reboot in terms of our efforts, whereby we're going to get a lot more local input on what veterans need, which will feed into our prioritization list of new infrastructure. The fact is we are in sore need of new infrastructure. Uh, we have an average 60 year old age of plant in our system, which is uh, far exceeds that of the private sector. But concerningly, that also limits our ability uh, to provide modern technology and new equipment to our clinicians to provide the most evidence-based care. Um, and that's not something our veterans should be facing. So we really do need uh, to reboot our infrastructure. And that's why you see a substantial investment reflected in the president's budget. Uh, and that is certainly our intention going forward. Yeah, I look forward to watching how that progresses. Uh, so you gave me a good lead into our next question, talking about the innovation ecosystem. Uh, you were the co-founder. So uh, what role do these kinds of self-started medical innovation programs play within VHA's overall modernization? And how do you see the innovation ecosystem's role continuing to grow? So I started the innovation ecosystem with one hypothesis that has been proven right over and over again. And that is that our frontline employees and folks close to the frontline are most aware of the largest and most significant bottlenecks to care for our veterans and are best equipped to propose solutions uh, against those problems. And that we would be better off as a system if we better understood the local solutions that have been developed, empower frontline employees with an innovation infrastructure to be able to turn their ideas into action and ultimately surface and scale what is working to the rest of the system. And so uh, since I left VA the first time around as a healthcare leader, that uh, structure has flourished and has spread to even more corners of the country. But it's still based on the same fundamental concept that VA employees are in it for the mission, first and foremost. They care enough to be able to uh, take the initiative to change the work environment around them, to develop new tools where needed to enhance care. Then it's up to us as a system to have an infrastructure that identifies and surfaces that work and celebrates that work and to spread it across the system. And that's what the innovation ecosystem is doing right now. It is one of the most critical enablers, in my view, to be able to make progress in the priorities I enumerated earlier. Uh, and I actually identify it as one of the most important strategic enablers in doing so. Chances are people have solved these problems on smaller scales in different places throughout the country. And there's actually a database of those solutions available to any VA employee through what's called our diffusion marketplace. 
And uh, that is a searchable tool that allows people to understand what other facilities and what other people in similar roles have done elsewhere that has worked. And that's just one example of how the innovation ecosystem is already advancing care across the board in our system. That's great to hear. I'll have to check out the marketplace. So for the next question, uh, we're going to dive into EHR modernization. So EHR modernization is clearly a time and resource intensive task. How do you see VHA addressing prior challenges with the Cerner implementation to streamline future rollouts? So I think it's important for us to move to a modern electronic health record. Uh, I think it's out of necessity that more and more of our healthcare workers, especially the new ones that we're trying to recruit, uh, are more attuned to modern commercial systems. That's the first reason to do it. The second reason to do it is that we are still on a document-based system that was at the tip of the spear when it's developed, when it was developed, uh, but has since uh, run its course, especially with its backend and the older programming languages uh, involved and the fact that we have over a hundred different instances of that system across the country. And so VISTA was an incredible thing when it was developed. It was designed by clinicians and for clinicians. And I used it myself uh, when I was a trainee uh, in VA. But I think it's time uh, out of necessity for us to move to a modern system. And I think uh, Cerner is just about as good as any other commercial system. It's all about how you implement it train your workforce, and uh, make sure that the change management is in place to be able to do so. And in the course of that implementation, the secretary paused further deployment back in July uh, when patient safety considerations uh, came up. It committed that we will resolve those issues uh, before we deploy further. And so what we've done is we've extended that pause as we've discovered more and more issues throughout time. And in particular, uh, as we've gotten more clarity on some of the patient safety risks, we've since disclosed to tens of thousands of veterans uh, by letter that they may have had a disruption or delay in their care uh, and have set up a dedicated call center for them to tell us if they think they may have missed a appointment, a radiologic study, laboratory study, whatever it may be, so that we can come to their assistance. And we've been able to address each issue as they come in for every veteran. But in the meantime, we're in an assess and address period, as we call it, in prioritizing uh, all of the issues with the system that have led to patient safety concerns and committing uh, to surfacing those problems and solving them in partnership with Oracle Cerner before we deploy again uh, next summer. And so we're in the middle of a sprint to do that right now. And uh, I will see proof of the pudding that this is working when our frontline employees at the five sites where the system already exists starts to tell us that they're seeing improvements. And until then, uh, we won't be satisfied. Right. So as you look at some of these massive transformations and projects like the PACT Act, DHR modernization, how are you coordinating with other arms within VA, like VHA, VBA, and OIT, to accelerate the transformation journey? We're really lucky to have a uh, team that is working jointly to implement the PACT Act in particular. 
Uh, I partner with Josh Jacobs, the uh, Acting Undersecretary for Benefits, very closely in making sure that we implement this in a coordinated way. Uh, but we also have enterprise governance led by Assistant Secretary Guy Kiakawa that makes sure that all parts of VA uh, are integrated and moving in the same direction. And that is what the president is demanding of us. And most importantly, that's what veterans deserve from us. And that is how we are approaching this. Uh, I think the data sharing that is happening between VBA and VHA, but also uh, the connectivity between DOD and VA is important as well to help us predict the number of veterans and the location of veterans who will likely qualify for the new benefits under the PACT Act. So that data sharing has been incredibly helpful. We've been working across administrations, across silos to be able to make that right and to give us estimates to equip our local leaders with the information they need to help prepare. And the two major components, as I said, in preparing is hiring the right people, which has everything to do with the veterans that we expect to see benefiting from the PACT Act and creating the right space to be able to deliver care in clinics and in hospitals across the country. And not only does the PACT Act offer us authorities for hiring that really help us in this effort, but they also it also offers us uh, new leasing authorities that make leasing easier, more responsive to veteran needs. And I really wanna give a, a strong thank you to Congress for affording us those authorities to be able to do so. But none of that works well without efficient data sharing and coordinated planning between BBA and VHA, and that is happening very seriously across the organization. Great, and the PACT Act will bring additional benefits to over 3.5 million veterans. One of the major challenges VA leadership has outlined is communicating these new benefits to veterans. How do you plan to address this and how can veterans learn more about the PACT Act? So we consider it our responsibility out of VA to inform veterans about these new benefits. This is not something we expect veterans to do themselves. It is incumbent upon us to make sure as many veterans as possible are aware. And we're doing this in multiple ways. The first is through traditional media outlets. Uh, we have a uh, Office of Public Affairs that is focused squarely on that, getting into every avenue where we know veterans frequent, whether it's print or social media to uh, get the word out about the PACT Act. We also have a uh, week of awareness coming up on December 10th that will uh, have events across the country in VA medical centers with not only uh, our healthcare colleagues, but uh, VBA for benefits enrollment on site and uh, collaboration where possible with the Department of Defense uh, in getting uh, their channels and their networks in as well to make these celebratory events, but most importantly, events that make everybody in the community, veterans in particular, aware of the PACT Act. And so we already have over 80 events planned, uh, far exceeding the requirement of the law for one per state, and to have on average multiple per state. And we're taking that week very seriously because we're gonna be partnering with Congress and the rest of the federal government to get the word out on this. We are also uh, undertaking uh, clinical screening for toxic exposures in every primary care clinic across the country. In fact, we've already done 250,000 of those screenings. And the idea is that uh, every primary care visit 
is an opportunity for a veteran to be screened for a possible exposure that we may not be aware of. And very interestingly, we're seeing about 38% of veterans responding saying, I think I may have had an exposure that we were not aware of prior to asking that question. So all of those veterans have the chance to get even more benefits uh, and that warm handoff to the Veterans Benefits Administration is very important. Uh, and we are proceeding with these screenings precisely because it makes us aware and the veteran aware that they may qualify for these exciting new benefits. Finally, uh, and I think very importantly, we are trying to collaborate with Congress as well on making sure that their influence over their constituents and their care uh, for their veterans, regardless of uh, political party, uh, are hand-in-hand uh, hand with us and getting the word out about this. And we've seen a lot of encouraging uh, outreach from members of Congress and their staff to work with us on this as they also hold us accountable for implementation. But they know that we all win when veterans are aware of these benefits and they sign up. So I'm really encouraged about the collaboration we're seeing around outreach. And as we receive feedback from veterans and veteran service organizations, we are trying to get communication about this in every corner of our operation. In fact, our Veterans Experience Office has mapped out the journey of veterans across every part of our healthcare system, benefit system, and otherwise, to use every node of contact as an opportunity to inform veterans of the PAC Act. So we're gonna continue improving on this over time, and we're not gonna stop until every veteran who we think might qualify is aware. Right, that's really impressive and exciting times at VA. Uh, so before we wrap up the episode, are there any other VA healthcare reform or modernization priorities you would like to share with our listeners? A lot of folks don't know that uh, VA is among the most innovative organizations in healthcare, uh, in advancing care, and that we've informed the broader American healthcare system uh, on what the tip of the spear is for a lot of areas of healthcare. Uh, one of those initiatives is called Greenhouse. It's called the Greenhouse Initiative. It uh, allows us to uh, integrate technologies in a human-centered way. Uh, and we're really excited about that because it facilitates interoperability uh, between uh, systems that the private sector might use. About a third of our care by workload is delivered in the private sector out of necessity. We don't have all services in every one of our sites of care. Uh, and so that will hopefully allow us to advance the needle on care. We're also trying to uh, work with innovators in the private sector and folks developing new solutions for really important priorities like suicide prevention through initiatives like Mission Daybreak. And Mission Daybreak is uh, a $20 million top award opportunity to a collaboration between public institutions, nonprofits, and innovators to develop new initiatives that enhance the support of veterans in the community, but also provide healthcare systems and emergency response professionals with as much advanced notice as possible when they think a veteran is at risk and to intervene as early as possible on behalf of that veteran. Uh, and we've had amazing submissions, and we have a set of finalists now who, if I had all the resources in the world, would uh, fund every single one of them. But we're really excited to see that uh, come to fruition and just represents another example of how we're putting every resource we can 
MBA into such an important priority. And so, uh, you know, if you look at our history, uh, development of the pacemaker, uh, modern use of insulin, these things originate in MBA. And we're continuing to try to build on that tradition uh, with veterans because that's what they deserve. And I'm really proud to be part of the system. Mission Daybreak has been really impressive, and I am keeping a close eye on the developments there. Uh, well, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been great to learn more about uh, some of your priorities, and I look forward to watching where you go in your new role. Thanks very much, Sarah. Appreciate the time. HealthCast, along with GovCast and CyberCast, is a production of GovCIO Media and Research. For more podcasts and to check out the other shows, head to govciomedia.com. Watch out for new episodes released every Tuesday and Wednesday across our shows. You can follow all of them in your favorite podcast platform. And if you like what you heard, make sure to let us know by leaving a review. And if you have any topics you think we should look into, contact us at newsletter at gcio.com.